Now, I didn't realise this until I watched Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. But... And maybe maybe you, you you'll agree with me on this, Conrad, that gay sex is inherently funny. Oh yeah, you don't need anything else if you have gay sex. Yeah, like that, yeah. Forget comedy, forget trying to craft jokes of any any sort. Just put some gay people having sex. It's. It's because the sex is gay that it is funny. Right, yes. It is because the sex is gay. It is, yeah. and that is therefore weird and therefore funny. See, It's different, you see. Yes, something that runs counter to the norm is funny. <laughs> uh, we're having a good laugh, aren't we? We're having a good laugh about Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I got... I got questions about that film. <laughs> do you? Yes. Is one uh, of them why did we do this? Mm, I mean, that's that's a, an ongoing question for the series, really. Uh, but but one's more specific to this. Um, was Scott Pilgrim the character in any way meant to be relatable or sympathetic, and not um, a weird skeeve? <laughs> I think he was meant to be relatable. And there are aspects of Scott Pilgrim that I do find somewhat relatable because I can remember being 22 years old and kind of an asshole. But. <laughs> <laughs> but up to a point. And I just, I don't, but I don't know what I, the sympathetic thing, I can't answer. I can't tell if we're supposed to be sympathetic to Scott Pilgrim or not. Yeah, I, I yeah. really can't. I don't know. I don't like him. I'm not sympathetic. But I don't know what the intent is. You only really feel sympathetic for, as, as you put it when we were discussing it um, before recording, uh, the victims. Yeah. Yeah. The like victimized feel... part is in this, in this film. Yeah. You feel, you, you kind of like, you like Knives and you like uh, Ramona and Kim. I like Kim. Uh, but also a victim. Um, I like Scott's sister, also a victim. Uh, yeah. To what great. end? <laughs> to what end was the video game shit? Uh, again, I could not. I, I mean, this. Have now... I just been spoiled by things like Wreck It Ralph existing now, where it's just okay and normal to see these things? working together these elements um because it felt shallow it felt pandering and it was to no end and, and there was no real reason why that there should be like these really quite shallow and vapid video game overlays onto the action when it, nothing really denotes scott pilgrim as a video game guy except for the fact he knows literally one fact about pac-man and plays Dance Dance Revolution. At the time, oh, oh, one of the very the... mainstream accessible games. He learns the baseline for uh, one of the Final oh, Fantasy yeah, yeah, yeah. songs. He does a, a yeah, battle theme, Final you Fantasy. Know. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, there's like there are a, there are a few That is about it. Where it but yeah, I think that's just an artifact from the comics. Like that's the world of Scott Pilgrim, uh, because it's like 
spread out over six volumes or something like that gets a lot more depth and explanation that the film a couldn't afford to do because it's already two hours it feels like a fucking eternity uh but also it's just weird. It's just weird stuff that you know. It, this, it's embarrassing. Like, Brian O'Malley put all of this together from his own personal loves, and because there was an audience for this comic series that inspired the film to be made, I feel like those things were included in it to be, you know, direct callbacks yeah. to it. But it doesn't earn that connection in any way no. throughout the narrative. There's just lip service to an extreme degree played to video game references. They feel the ones that are directly referenced within dialogue or, you know, in world outside of just graphic overlays, um, come across as awkward and have no place there. Um, it's a lot more obviously, uh, embarrassing in the same way people present loading ready run is embarrassing. Um, but you mean at Ready least Player One? Ready Player One. Sorry, Loading, Loading Ready Run is a very good... Uh, <laughs> yeah, a very good group of people who A very who good like. group of people who I love. I'm so sorry, Loading Ready Run. Um, I meant Ready Player One is embarrassing. Um, but at least it's committed and has an inbuilt excuse for everything going on. Yeah. Um, it's awkward and, and forced. It feels forced. Um, very shoehorny. But at least it's all got a, a, an end to it. There's a reason for it. It's engraved into the story and plot and, and everything. Um, and to I the think point you... where I think if uh, Ready Player One had been released in 2010 alongside this, uh, it would have been seen as... It would have left Scott Pilgrim in the dust. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Hailed as a masterpiece. I genuinely think that. Uh, no, I because... think you're right. Yeah, because we're sick of that shit now. I get We and, are over uh, it. Yeah, I'm, there I'm was with a you. there was a very brief uh, period, but very marked period in the very late two thousands, early twenty tens, that was the nerds are cool now phase, where everything was epic, nothing was just good or all right. Everything was epic. These days, it's all uh, wholesome. Everything's wholesome now, but back then it was all always epic. Um, you could call yourself awesome, and that would be fine. Um, as we see in this film when a subtitle comes up for Scott Pilgrim and it says his status is awesome and it made me want to eat my own gums in uh, embarrassment. Uh, but yeah, there was this very distinct time. Um, you know, Guitar Hero had, had really taken off. Uh, I had a look at some of the other movies released at that time. Uh, there was uh, Kick-Ass was mm. out at that time. Sort of, oh look, comic book stuff, but like reveling in it it's not just a a batman thing um you know they're reveling in comic book tropes and we love that and it's okay that that is happening yeah everyone's a mature story that we're telling Uh, sideline glance at maturity but whatever yeah um so yeah it, it didn't last very long which is why even though scott pilgrim came out this decade it still feels like it's from another time it feels part of this very peculiar and I, I guess you get that in the merging points of any decade no, where bits of the last one and and everything are still mixing in with some new ideas and, and they always feel right. a bit but it, this this at the same time this i mean like people really liked this i remember i feel like that's I my recollection is that when i think this it was because out, of the time period yeah it was really 
really well liked. And I mean, when I saw it, I can recall having liked it. I didn't think it was brilliant, but I recalled having liked it. It was flashy and and kind of fun. Uh, and I didn't think about it a whole lot. I owned it on DVD or on Blu-ray. You know, I think I watched it once when I got it, and I was a little less into it then. And I've never wanted to watch it since. Like, every few months, my wife's like, let's watch a movie. Hey, why don't we watch Scott Pilgrim? I'm like, eh, I don't really want to watch that. And now I yeah. know why. Now I get it, because I, I knew what it was. It's this artifact from another time that is just sort of shameful to look at now. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it would get very far if released today. It would be considered very passe. Yeah. Um, you know, imagine what Ready Player One got, but I think worse. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think this feels more tone deaf than Ready Player One does. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, to say nothing of just how what an entitled tit Scott Pilgrim comes across as, uh, and and I I wonder because I see a lot of um, you know you see things like those those fucking incels and, and those guys that whine about being nerdy but not getting girlfriends and everything, and then they go do terrible things. Um, one of the arguments I often see from those people are media lied to us. They told us we could be nice guys and get the girl and, and we could be awkward and, and shy and that was all charming. And when I grew up, which was somewhat before this time, um, I was never told that. I was told if you were Mel Gibson, you could get the girls. And everyone just accepted that. Like, we're not Mel Gibson. Don't try. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Mel Gibson's got it handled. We we had a concept of people being out of our league. Was that, you know? (laughs) Maybe. Um, Mel Gibson, of course, uh, this was before he went off the deep end. Right, yes, Uh, back when when he could still be considered an attractive quantity, sure. But, yeah, he was quite eligible. Um, You know, yeah, Kevin Costner's. (laughs) (laughs) He was doing all right for himself. He was doing okay. Back in his day. Um, so I was a little older when, when something like Scott Pilgrim came out. Um, you know, not super old, but I was done with high, high school level hijinks and bullshit. Um, but a lot of other people sort of coming in, being older now would have, uh, I guess, consider something like Scott Pilgrim part of their, their formative entertainment. Uh, and, and I wonder if it was this sort of Michael Cera, Jesse Eisen, but the social network came out in 2010 and all. There is something about that, oh, the nerds are taking over. The nerds are uh, cool now. But only a few of them were. And only for a brief period was it capitalised on to the degree it was back then. So maybe a lot of people were left in the dust. Um, felt like, you know... The, the nerdy's call train had come along, picked up uh, Michael and Jesse and left everyone else behind. But they didn't know that because they didn't look at them and think, oh, well, it's Mel Gibson. It's OK. They looked at them and thought, well, it's it's, it's Michael Sarah, Michael Sarah. So I'm, I'm quids in. Everything's going to be great. Uh, and it wasn't. And now they get upset and, and you know, tell each other it's OK. On uh, on forums, on message boards, message yeah. boards, uh, to refer to their semen as the cup of Hermes, you know, Ugh. yeah, yeah. Um, but that's all right now. Jonah Hex, 
was in 2010 as well. I, I don't know if I mentioned that yet. <laughs> That's got no bearing on anything. Jonah Hex belongs to no time or group or, or shouldn't even belong to the notion of film. Um, <laughs> I saw that one in the movie theatre. Did you? Oh, I rushed out to see Jonah Hex. Um, I wasn't that excited for it. It was just something that was on. I saw it the once in the movie theatre. I'll never see it again. Had um, Josh Brolin and John Malkovich in it. And Megan Fox, because she was the, the flavour of the time. She was the Transformers. girl for a while, yeah. yeah. Uh, Revenge of the Fallen was, I think, 2010. Was it really? uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Big time. Inception as well. Oh, so, here now this is yeah, this is where go. we're getting all, all of our high concept film phase. Yeah. When did that South Park World of Warcraft episode come out? I wonder <laughs> if that was around the same time. 2006. Okay, that was pretty early. But then that's about the time I joined Destructoid. That's when things really were kicking off. Mhm. Yeah. Um we were sort of in the dying days of the video games are going to kill us all phase, which still gets resurrected here and there. But that was back when, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger was going after him, Leland G was, uh, and, and Jack Thompson was at the height of his fame. And then we kind of, that simmered off towards the end of the 2000s. And then stuff like Scott Pilgrim happened. So there might have also just been a lot of, uh, it was that righteous indignation coming out. Yeah. yeah. the Yeah, the nerds have won. Um, and then, you know, it, it, it may have turned out that some of them, uh, by their own admission, apparently, didn't win all that well in life, according to their metrics. And uh, then it's time to drink from the cup of Hermes. This, it, this Scott Pilgrim as a character is the nice guy. Oh like, yeah, I mean he's totally the nice guy. He's like, he doesn't understand. Not a good guy. Yeah, he doesn't understand what a fucking asshole he's being to everyone around him. He feels victimized. By people being upset at what a prick he is. Well, it's got Pilgrim versus the world. Oh. Gamers rise up. We live in a society. Oh. Oh, everything was Scott Pilgrim. You know what? It was the Alanis Morissette of the 2010s. <laughs> <laughs> the game changer that came along and set the course for a decade. It is, it's, I wish I'd read the comics. Like, I, I, I planned to, to read them once I'd watched the film the first time because I knew there had to be more. Like, I knew that there's, this feels so surface level and rushed. Uh, and it yeah. has to be because there's a lot of stuff that I, for reasons, have to happen. Uh, I don't know why this film had to happen, but. It did, and if you're going to do it, sure, whatever. But because I just I wanted context, I wanted to understand why it is the way that it is, and yeah. and, and that word's important context because it it shovels in surface level references as part of its overall aesthetic to comic books and video games, and that that only works because we know that a comic book was written by a nerd at one point. Right, but it also does it with very specific references to the Scott Pilgrim comic series. You know, some some sort of uh, somewhat central concepts that are introduced in it. They are mentioned, and they're still somewhat important in Scott Pilgrim, but they're breezed past. 
You know, and so they're really just there for the Scott Pilgrim fans. Say, oh, no, 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 we, we got it in here. It's in here. Don't yeah. worry. It's and that's here. fine. You can have references and Easter eggs and shit. Oh, sure. But it, as you long can't... as it's not confusing the audience as to how your yeah. world works. You can't you can't try and make it a linchpin for anything if you're not going to commit to it and actually explain it. Um, you know, Easter eggs are, are fine and everything, but big big parts of this film are dedicated to stuff that has no other context. Uh, and and I could imagine anyone who knows nothing about it just being quite confused as to what the fucking point is of any of it. What's the point? Um, I we're probably upsetting some people who might have actually grown up a bit more with it and and. Um, I mean, you know. I'm and I'm sorry. Look, there's lots of stuff that I grew up with that uh, is fucking terrible. Most of it. Most, most of, of what it. I like, I, I'll go back sometimes and look at them. And you know what? Actually, this is shit. Yeah, yeah. And All so, if if that's a situation uh, for you, and 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 maybe you haven't gone back and looked lately, and 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 maybe you'll go back and look, and you'll think that we're completely. F- fucking wrong and i guess you can do but that all i know is and you know part of it might be informed by the fact that this was my first time seeing it i'd heard all about it back in the time because you know i was working for destructoid the video game version of it had hit xbox live and which was, was quite about good that. that was a damn fine game it, I it dominated it. a lot of e3 that year i went to e3 that year and and scott we, we i went to ended up at a scott pilgrim party there was nothing really Scott Pilgrim about it at all. It just seemed to be in someone's house. But there was food and drink. Good food. And then I spilled a drink on a girl's dress. All right. I, I spilled a drink on a girl's dress trying to surprise Ben Padden from behind. Um, ben <laughs> oh, Padden, that, was the, at, that was at the point who, where Ben Padden was uh, busy trying to slag off everybody in games <laughs> journalism as a way so, to get a career started. Something of an enfant terrible of a sort. <laughs> uh, and a very nice guy. Oh, very no, nice, nice guy. Chap. I think I was at that party, too, actually. I think he was, yeah. It, yeah, I think I think the three of us wound up chatting for a few minutes at that yeah. party. Yeah, And he is he a was, nice guy. But... He's a good guy, and he went on to do uh, Port Center, uh, which is a very Still, fine series on yeah. YouTube. Well, that's on Filmjoy, isn't it? Uh, our, our good friend Mikey Newman. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mikey Newman, yeah. Who also does a great web show of, of, about films. Mm-hmm. Um, not like this one. His not like this. Yeah, yeah. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, I don't know what he thinks of Scott Pilgrim. Um, I liked his video on Zodiac because I like Zodiac, the film. It's a very long film. But it doesn't feel like it lasts for a thousand years. Like Scott that's, Pilgrim that's versus Scott the world Pilgrim, does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you like the video game. Yeah, I liked the video game. I thought the video game was fun. I mean, I like yeah. those sort was of brawlers. Was it filled and... with out-of-context movie references? To no, just the I don't genre think so. of film? I think it was filled with lots of comic references that I didn't get because I didn't really uh, know the comic. But it didn't matter either because it wasn't so much trying to tell me a story in a deep, meaningful way. It was fucking Double Dragon. Or River City Rampage, you know, it was very light on the story. Go beat up the seven evil exes. I can deal with that in that context. In this, they're trying to present me with a whole bunch of emotional subtext and characters, a lot of characters, and yeah, it's 
this feels it, it's easier to get lost and be frustrated watching this than it was to be lost and sort of rolling with it in the game. Gotcha. Gotcha. I liked the game. The game was fun. The movie is... But really, I was surprised that this was the first time you'd seen it. Yeah. it's just one of those things that was it so... It was on my to-do list, and yeah. then I just never bothered. You had made the right call, I think. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. I shan't be watching it again. No. Well, should we then get past having to ever talk about it ever again? Yes. The sooner we wrap it up, the sooner we don't have to talk about Scott Pilgrim versus the world anymore. So, uh, yeah, let's get cracking on that. After the Universal Pictures theme plays in a hip chiptude style. <laughs> because video games. We're taken to Toronto, where we meet Scott Pilgrim, who is dating a high schooler despite being 22 years of age. We also meet his friends Stephen, Young Neil, and Kim, two-thirds of which seem to approve of Scott's life choices. Uh, the, the one who does not is, is Kim, uh, who calls him on his shit. Good for her. Uh, the high school student, Knives Chow, soon arrives at the door, and after Scott is a total dick by telling her to behave yourself, like, this is our first impression of this dude. <laughs> Is is you're gonna you're gonna behave yourself right to this woman who shows up at his door that he's having this relationship with? Don't embarrass me in front of my friends. Christ. Uh, and we establish, hey, girls can be drummers too. Uh, and so Knives comes in and watches their band, which is called Sex Babam. It's a it's a video game reference. Uh, yeah. They... Um. Again, and this is part of the problem. It's called Sex Bubble. But that's not a bad band name. It's not a bad band name, but none of them give off the air of anyone who would call their band Sex Bubble. No, they don't I mean... seem all that interested in video games. Mean, this is what I talk about when I say it's all surface level st- stuff. Well, it's, They're it's not a very nerdy band. The only character that we we establish in this scene as being into video games is the one that's not actually in the band. Because Knives asks this young Neil what he plays, and he says, Zelda, Tetris, that's kind of a big question. He's the one who's into the video games. He's not in the band called Sex Babam. No. Weird. Uh, so they start practicing, and we get a credit sequence with that music as they're playing. Uh, after that concludes, Knives is way into the band, in a way that only a high school girl in a movie can be. Uh, Steven and young Neil both approve of her, while Kim questions if Scott is evil. Good girl Kim. Kim's on top of shit. Scott knows the answer to this question, because upon returning to his friend Wallace's apartment with whom he shares a bed he immediately tries to downplay this fact but you know what fact isn't downplayed what is that wallace is a homosexual he's gay yeah and that's funny to me it's it's funny that wallace is gay he's also a gossip which is a thing that gay men are oh i've heard about that i've heard that a, he, a gay person told me about that because he was gossiping about gay people being gossips. And he immediately... And then he had hilarious sex. <laughs> he immediately tells Scott's sister, who immediately calls Scott to talk about it. 
And from this conversation, we learned that Scott got adopted a year earlier by the lead singer of a band called Clash at Demon Head and hasn't moved on. Hey, that's a video game reference. <clears throat> They're even less likely to have a band named after video game reference. That's a pretty deep cut, the Clash at Demon Head. The next day, Scott and Wallace, who is gay, by the way. No. Uh, they, they go to pick up Knives at school, and Scott has to point out to Knives that's, that, that Wallace is gay. And so Knives then has to ask Wallace if he wants to know who at her school is gay. Yeah. And then Wallace sh- shouts her down about that. <laughs> Scott shouts her down. Wallace almost seems interested. Oh. Scott shouts her down, and then Wallace uh, pleads with her to run far from Scott before leaving. Oh, no, and, no, 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 because Wallace was snippy in the response to that about having to automatically know someone because they're gay, which I find to be hypocrisy on the film's part. Oh, yeah, because they're establishing that. That that's the way it is. Clearly. The the film doesn't get to be indignant about assumptions about gay people. <laughs> it just doesn't. Maybe it's trying to get this one in quickly and early before it, like, thoroughly embarrasses itself maybe, as the film maybe. proceeds. <laughs> because uh, so far it's just, like, mildly out of touch. <laughs> Because it's only had this character in the film for four minutes. <laughs> Has it, it's, it, got, it got two hours left to... to uh. It's got a lot of time to <clears throat> fill. So Scott and Knives go to an arcade and play a, a DDR-style ninja game while he impresses her with his yeah. Pac-Man knowledge. Uh, uh, if I may, a very <laughs> basic Pac-Man fact... Yes. Presented as exclusive wisdom. The only thing he didn't bother including was that it was inspired by a pizza with a slice taken out. Yeah. See? He don't know. What a casual. Scott Pilgrim's a fucking (laughs) casual. Imagine him playing Dark Souls. His fucking DDR playing chump. That they uh, make a pretty good team at their video game, but Scott is clearly not actually into her in a romantic sense because she's all ready to have this kiss and he's, like, nudging her to go pay more money into the machines so they can keep playing. Well, I think playing. that's because they're, they're playing up the fact that she's 17 and he's well, yeah, given sure. shit, and so he doesn't want to kiss the 17-year-old that he's dating and playing DDR with in well, and, public. And, for and he's to put himself at. into this relationship with this 17-year-old knowing that because then there's no risk of him getting emotionally involved. Yeah, so he right. won't get hurt. That's right. the important thing about this relationship is he won't get hurt. Correct, that's Scott the entire Pilgrim reason he's will in be it. fine. Yes. That should have been the name of the film. Scott <laughs> Pilgrim will be fine. Maybe people would have had less false assumptions of the world based on this film if they'd have gotten the message that it is okay to be called a nerdy if you're Scott Pilgrim. You get to be self-conscious, socially awkward, and an asshole and get away with it. 
the, I think the, the title of the film is misleading by putting Scott Pilgrim first because that leads us to want to identify with Scott Pilgrim as the hero of this yeah. movie. But the world is the hero of this movie. The They're only the one thing, we should be rooting for. The only thing... Um... The only thing that fits with Scott Pilgrim being put first in the title is that Scott Pilgrim always put Scott Pilgrim first. Oh, so good. Later, at a record store, we're introduced to Julie, another one of Scott's quote-unquote friends who, like, seems to fucking hate him. So Yes, everyone hates him. Uh, but she... still hang out with him. Yeah. I don't... What is his charm <laughs> that people still want to be around him uh, she also disapproves of his relationship with knives while inviting him to a party this and... is Audrey Plaza by the way yes this is a really like notable cast just mm. overall um, and it is also very much an Edgar Wright film which I guess we didn't really talk about but it is visually pacing wise it has all of the early Edgar stuff. It is yeah. not that far between Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz in terms of how things progress and the scene changes yeah. and all of these hard cuts uh, and kind of outlandish visual stuff. I will say that I like Edgar Wright's films. I do. I like his style. Yeah. That's but the thing. When you... The style of this film and yeah. the visuals of it are all things that I can appreciate. and are My really main problem, though, neat. is... And I didn't feel this so much in Ant-Man, but here he applies maybe a bit too much of the Edgar Wrightism to the fight sequences because sometimes they're just too visually baffling. And yep. maybe I'm just old now, but some of these fights I was like, I can tell that some pretty things are going on, but it's too fast and there are too many cuts and it's it, I just can't follow it. Yeah, yeah, I can I can agree with that. I, I fight sequences in films in general, I. I just can't be bothered. The last time I was really impressed by a fight scene was that Daredevil hallway scene in the first season that they then had to put a hallway fighting scene multiple times into every subsequent season of Daredevil. Yeah. Although the prison one in uh, Daredevil season three is quite good. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's quite I mean, good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that always looks good because there's something a bit more real about it. Like, yeah. you know, the, the old boy corridor scene that it's taken from is great. Yep. Because that's a fucking fight. Yep. Later, at a record store, we're introduced to Julie. Oh, wait, no, I, I already read that, didn't I? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Scott's, uh, she also lets us know about Scott's, this scene sets up Scott's distaste for Clash at Demon Head uh, further, which is the, uh, the, the band that his ex-girlfriend is the front woman for. Meanwhile, Knives... Hasn't ever even kissed a guy, but it ain't happening today either. <laughs> As Scott blows past yet another obvious signal. And they end their date at Wallace's place where Knives is not invited in. Because <laughs> he's a dick. But instead is showed that Scott actually hasn't gone anywhere in his life because he currently lives across the street from his childhood home. And this is presented with some sort of... Gr gravity but his childhood home is never addressed again and I don't uh, I don't know 
As if realizing how pathetic he is, Scott fantasizes being in a desert and being alone when a girl with pink hair rollerblades past him and he asks if they can make out. And here's how you can tell the film's dated as well, because it presents, um, oh, vaguely nerdy girl with colourful hair as um, someone to very, very uh, desirable romantic interest. Uh, and this was, you know, um, four or five years away from, oh, vaguely nerdy girl with coloured hair. Get her out of my hobby. Well, and you know she's cool. You know how you know she's cool? Yeah, she's she riding can. rollerblades 15 years after they went out of style. <laughs> That's how you know she's cool. She also has not much of a personality because um, she's basically basically the trophy from Pixels. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll, I I got nothing out of the romance between Scott Pilgrim and this character because all neither I... of them exhibited many personality traits outside of just existing for each other. Oh, and and like she as plot points. She, yeah, she serves as all these plot points, but like she's not. She's painted as not being a good person. Because she has sort of had disregard for all of these other prior relationships that she's had. Yeah. And, and, and outside of that, what we're told, because it's an informed flaw, but what we're, the only other things we pick up about her is all physical. It's all yeah. visual. It's all colored hair. Um, because at one point, you know, she says her hair, she changes her hair every one and a half weeks or something. Yeah. And uh, shortly after, uh, Scott Pilgrim is all, um, oh, she's impulsive and mm-hmm. and flighty and, and everything. But nowhere else is, does she exhibit such traits. In fact, she seems quite set. Quite she set seems in a way. pretty stable. And, yeah. You know, for um, someone who is, you know, moved to this town to get away from someone, she comes across as pretty self-assured and confident. Yeah, like we're informed things about her that... It, at no point does she exhibit and anything about what Scott Pilgrim sees in her and likes about her and wants in her is all based on what she looks like. It feels, yeah, it's all surface level as far. It's all, yeah. Just because we're not given any other reason for him to be interested in her. She doesn't, she, they suggest that she's deep, Right. They yeah. suggest that she is uh, aware of how she has mistreated people in her past, and she is, to some degree, running from that to start again and be a better person. If I recall correctly, and I might be wrong, because at times I just didn't want to look at this film, and I was thinking about just anything else. I was thinking about it finishing so I could play Hyrule Warriors again. Um at no point do I recall him actually explaining why he likes her. Nope. Like, what what it is about her that he sees, other than, you know, that there are plenty of visual cues that show us he likes what he sees physically there, but n- nothing about what he sees in her as a, as a relationship. Uh, and conversely, her with him as well. Um, it does yeah. just seem to be they want to bone down 
which is fine, but it's presented as something more than that. Because otherwise, why does he pull the true love sword out of his tits? She just kind of rolls with everything here. Yeah. Easy going. On her blades, just rolling along through life. Scott wakes up in Wallace's bed with Wallace's boyfriend, Scott. Other Scott. There's a an other Scott that Wallace is yeah. having very funny gay sex with. Having having a real cut up of a gay sexual encounter with. Also, Scott's overslept, and he's supposed to have met knives at the library. Edgar Wright cut to library, where Scott is awkwardly reminded he's dating a high school girl again. And on the way out, he sees the girl from his dream checking out a book. And what follows is a sequence of shortcuts of Scott drifting through his life, largely unaware of anything, until they go to Julie's party, whom Stephen, his bandmate, recently broke up with. You keeping track of this tangled web of relationships? Because some record label people might be hanging out at this party. I don't understand why record label people are hanging out with Julie. Julie works in a record store. We know that. But what? It's basically the big account. You don't have to know what the big account is <laughs> that the sitcom character needs to land. You just need to know it's the big account. So it's and, and it's very specific to a lot of musical um, Battle of the Bands, because mm-hmm. of course there's one of those. Uh, Battle of the Band situations is you just say, we need to go to this location because record label might be. That's all you need. Record label might be. And then you you can go anywhere. I need to go to this fox hunt because someone from EMI loves riding horses (laughs) on the way to the bathroom Scott runs into a guy who knows everyone and asks about the girl he's clearly distracted by learning she's named Ramona Powers and that she might be at the party tonight so Scott immediately goes on a creepy stalker hunt Yes. I mean, it was already a bit creepy that he'd seen her once and let his entire life slip by for weeks. Mm-hmm. As if he was in some mushroom samba. But, yeah, then he steps it up. He manages to go from creepy to fucking creepy. And it's all okay. It's t- totally fine. Totally it's fine. It's all okay. Well, he spots her holding up one of the walls in the uh, house and slides up with his slick Pac-Man history lesson. <laughs> and gets why, the response why couldn't one they have should. Picked, why couldn't they have picked another fact? Did the people like doing the screenplay not know any anything else? I, I, don't know. I don't know. Or maybe they just recognized it as being suitably lame. It's the sort of thing that might impress a teenager but would not be of interest whatsoever in a actual direct peer relationship. I don't know. I just feel like if they wanted to justify the amount of shallow video game overlays that they could have made him exhibit signs of giving a shit about video games outside of one fact that he uses to have sex with teenagers. (laughs) God. Well, he doesn't have any game and he flames out. And so Ramona leaves the party. And after which he cruises around seeking any information he can find out about her. Because, again, he's a fucking creep. Uh, learning that she recently moved to town, recently broke up with someone, and works for Amazon. Julie forbids him 
from hitting on Ramona, as he has a long history of not being a good boyfriend, including his bandmate Kim, thereby explaining a lot of their relationship. Yeah, Scott Pilgrim has dated most girls. It seems that way. It's not even. This isn't even a story of a guy the shy who has not been. Nerd yeah, who doesn't yeah. get the girl. No, it's in, it's suggested that he has a great track record, and is just and and actually is the relationship equivalent in this film of the dumb nasty jock in the other films about awkward nerds getting girls. Yeah. It's just we don't need an evil jock in this film because he's got that covered as well. <laughs> Scott can be all things to all people. He can be the romantic lead creepy stalker and the asshole that the creepy stalker's trying to muscle out. <laughs> it's almost as if they're the same side of an abusive coin. Weird. That night, Wallace returns home drunk, and Scott tells him about meeting Ramona at the party, whom Wallace is going to pretend is a man, because Wallace, in case you were unaware, is a homosexual. No fucking way. Very funny. Oh and my god, I can only imagine what that sex must look like. <laughs> oh, oh, probably, probably slapstick hijinks. As he's passing out, Wallace encourages Scott to break up with knives if he's going to be chasing Ramona. Which you know then... it goes up the bum, right? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's not where penises go. <laughs> no, no. I, I've never heard of that before. And only gay men do it. Right. Ah, well, I mean, why would you otherwise? I can't imagine. Uh... Scott's sister then calls to deliver the same message about how Scott should break up with knives because Wallace can text while he's unconscious. Oh, and he's And dead. up the bum is the only thing gay men do. <laughs> right, yeah, that's it. It's the no only hands, kind of gay sex. No hands, no, no mouths. No mouths. No frottage. That's for straight men to have sex with each other. I mean, and, and don't even get me started on the armpit. Because we all know that is the province of straight men only. Yeah, it's only in the bum. And when and when they do the bum sex, one of them is the woman one. That's how that's it works, right. that's, and that's, that's how they talk exactly. and say it. Yes. One of them is the man and one of them is the woman. I'm glad that we've become so clear on on the, the dynamics in homosexual relationships. I, this film's been very useful to it's me. It's so different. It's so different. <laughs> uh, the next morning... Scott orders a package from Amazon to try and lure Ramona to him. To his gingerbread house, he orders from Amazon. He also gets an email from a guy named Matthew Patel who says they'll be fighting soon, but he deletes it because he's boring. And then he waits for the door, waits by the door for the package to arrive. And when the bell rings, he's all excited for the package, but it's knives. He's completely forgotten she exists again. And, a montage... and he's not, he's, he's not entered this relationship. No, no. Ongoing relationship. A montage of Scott showing obvious disinterest follows. Ending with them. Borderline gaslighting at this point. Yeah. Ending with them playing their ninja game and Scott losing to a nega ninja, air quotes, mirror match. And he says he can never defeat. I, I, I like the way they do this because... It's not like a video game at all. 
in the sense that Scott Pilgrim is standing there with his arms like on his lower back, his hands on his lower back. Yeah. Uh, and the character on screen is doing the same thing when it gets its head kicked off. <laughs> and it's it's a one nice problem touch. here though is they never show him trying his hardest to beat the Nega Ninja. No, he never tries. He doesn't try. He never tries to face yeah. himself. We get <sighs> And that's the thing, we're supposed to think about that later and ha- and have a rather significant callback to the Nega Ninja. Right. But because, but because we never, never shown him invested in trying to face that particular demon. And it yeah. is, while he, the scene is more concerned with just showing us how he's starting the process of ghosting this, this poor victim of his while letting her think it's her fault. Uh, it's more focused on that. So this is so incidental and brush away. The, when it happens, when the thing that this is calling forward to happens later, you do remember, oh yeah, a bit like that scene. Yeah, yeah, and then I guess that you happened. don't really make a, a connection you care about because it's not presented at all. I mean, I have completely forgotten about the Nega Ninja multiple times this week. <laughs> like, yeah, I remember Nega Scott. Sure, that's a, you know that's a good gag, but. I think it's because I'm so, like, enmeshed in video games that the actual callback reference to its appearance early on didn't seem weird because every other video gamey type thing seems so shoehorned that, yeah, sure, why not? I won't be surprised if if anyone forgot that Nega Ninja was a call forward to him facing off against, you know, his own opposite later Um, because it is so brushed off. It exists... Just to take on the appearance of this film having a a call forward, basically. Yeah. It's 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 again more lip service. Which I'm surprised at in an Edgar Wright film. Because, you know, you look at something like Shaun of the Dead where every line calls towards something um with a very specific twisted context later on and it's so carefully laid out. Yeah. And you can't mistake it. Whereas here, it's just, there's no commitment to it, which again is a big issue with all of it. Um, And I think that again leads to it feeling dated in the, back then, the bar was so much lower that you could just get away with half-hearted references to video games in your film. People would think it was revolutionary. Whereas in a Wreck-It Ralph world, you want to see Bowser. You want to actually see him. Um, Whereas this, it's like a P-meter when he's in the toilet, just draining, in, and it's all, oh, ha, ha, it's like a life meter or something, but it's for piss, with no reason. Like, is he just thinking that in his head? Does does he, like the most embarrassing nerd, go to the toilet every time and think, ha, ha, imagine if there was a pee meter above my head. Is that all this is? Is it all going on in his head? I... Is there a cut scene okay. at the end where he's on a bed in Vietnam dying? No. Unfortunately, no. And apparently... Because I think this is all going through. Is I think it's all a fever dream. Well, the, or he's just... He's on drugs. This He's, he's been doing the drugs. Smoking the and meter, eating drugs. The pee meter is directly out of the comic. Now, they stylized it differently for the film, apparently. Yeah. Because uh, I, uh, I found a... Well, uh, I don't care where it comes from. I it's... found a Scott wiki, uh, a Scott Pilgrim wiki 
that had a whole page on all of the differences <laughs> between the book, the comics, and the film. And oh, that was on that list, was that the P-meter was changed. All right. So. Why, why the P-meter, though, is... Don't is know. that how Scott Pilgrim, is that the only way he can connect to the world? Uh, is to relate it to the video games he at no point in the film plays. I mean, it's... Outside the, of Dance Dance Revolution. Again, in the comics, there are a lot more, like, actual manifestations of video game shit. Right? Yeah. Like, now, that's probably one of the major differences here, is the, the comic book probably does commit. It does. It, it thoroughly does. Um, and And, like... You, there's a there are points in this where you get to see like stats for characters, and I guess that those are meaningful in the comics in some, to some extent in a way that they're just not here. Yeah, because in the film everything is just surface level. We're doing it because we have to do it on some level. Yeah. We've we've got to make this feel a bit like a Scott Pilgrim film what people would expect, but we don't want to do it too much to alienate anyone because nerds are cool now, but we still want as much mainstream money as possible. So Scott loses his mirror match, and this seems like the perfect opportunity for him to break up with Knives, but smash cut to the practice space, and she's still there when Steven announces that the band is going to be participating in a battle of the bands, with the uh, prize being a record contract with G-Man Graves, a renowned music producer. Uh, Scott is uh, still dealing, reeling from the fact that he has not dumped knives, and she's still there in the practice space, and now she's wearing a sex bob shirt that she clearly made herself. <laughs> Serves you fucking right. Yeah. Uh, he goes to take a leak to escape the situation, uh, and drains his pee meter. And upon exiting the bathroom, he finds himself in a high school hallway where Ramona is skate, skates past him. She skates past him to Wallace's front door, which is around the corner of the hallway. And then he wakes up inside Wallace's and opens the door to find Ramona on the other side with his package from Amazon. This is also weird. He asks her out, she says no, and he also remarks on how odd it was that she was just in his dream, which she dismisses as not odd because he has a, a subspace highway running through his head that she uses to save time while delivering packages. This is an actually important element of the comics that is brought up here this one time, referenced a couple of more times throughout the film, but never in any way explained because they thus, just don't have it in Canada. Thus contributing to Scott Pilgrim just looking like this is all some weird, like he's chained to a radiator somewhere. Yeah. In real life. Yeah. Like, apparently, None of this is real. Apparently in the comics, for those who are unaware, uh, there is this whole other multidimensional stuff going on. And uh, Gideon... Uh, the big bad uh, knows how to use this subspace dimension to do all sorts of shit. And, like, he's spying on Scott and Ramona throughout it, using it. And she and he taught her how to use it to fast travel effectively. Um, that's what it is. It's just this other dimension that she and other people know how to interact with. But never mind that. Not important. Just be confused by it. Um, 
to get him to sign for the package, Ramona agrees to hang out with him. So he's worn her down. Yes, he has psychologically battered her. Fantastic. That night, they wander around snowy Toronto. We learn that she came here from New York looking to get away from something. She knows a guy named Gideon who's pretty clearly an ex-boyfriend she doesn't want to talk about. There's more talking and cold walking. And then Ramona leads Scott through a door in the middle of nowhere. This is one of the subspace references because the next thing we know, they're in her apartment. But they don't show the travel. They just show them there. So it doesn't explain any of this. Yeah. It's just I think a weird thing. I think because they didn't want to get bogged down. And I don't blame them for not travel. wanting to get bogged down no. in it. But I think they're trying to just say, like, this is... I think they're trying to pass it off as the film's visual style. Like, yes, it's not meant, that's what's None happening. of it's meant to be literal. Right. It's all just, you know... Uh, which, again, just renders everything down to the barest aesthetic levels. Yeah. Which is what the entire film does. Is It it, it only takes everything at a face value, uh, in, a, in a face value context. And because they've tossed in that line about the subspace existing to satisfy the fans, you know, and the fans are familiar with the visual of the door. They know what it is. So they're like, oh, okay, haha, you know. I mean, I don't know. I, it works to do yeah. that but, but i got nothing out of it like right. I, I i recognized that they were doing an aesthetic style thing mm-hmm. i was like oh okay door fun but i didn't get any significant meaning from it while watching the film the film doesn't make any effort and to it's... give it a, a any thematic meaning even if it is just a visually thematic meaning the only thematic meaning about it is that everything is a bit weird it's, yeah, it's so not an important thing in the context of the film, which is ostensibly about the relationships to the between these characters. But the relationships between these characters all feel so surface level, too, that yeah. eh, like, I, I can't, I don't know what I'm supposed to attach significance to, I guess, is the problem. <laughs> anyway, uh, she makes them some tea and offers Scott a blanket. And impatient for the blanket, Scott walks in on her changing because he's an asshole who just wanders around somebody else's home poking about when he's left alone. Yeah. He he stayed on his own for about as long as he could to formulate an excuse to walk in on someone changing. Right. That's what really happened. So he covers his eyes in a big dramatic show and she puts her body against his to warm him up and oh that's where this is leading uh but ramona then rethinks it decides they're not going to bump uglies this night unless she decides to change her mind later and the next day he invites her to her band show and she ex- she accepts despite seeming put off that he's in a band <laughs> which it's because she's so impulsive <laughs> it's, it's the only character trait i've been told about in the film so I can only draw everything she does to that. So I think it was her impulse, that was because of her impish, puckish style, that um, in that moment she hated all bands and the concept of music. She changed it later because of impulse. But right then, she was like, ugh, ugh, music. I'm going to be like Shredder in the Back in Their well, Shell live tour. I mean, we, just, we just saw how flighty she was. You know, She indicated that she was ready for sex and then changed her mind like that. You're right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're... Yeah. 
Uh-huh. This is a real good film we watched, isn't it? <sighs> you know what? I'm starting to think that Scott Pilgrim is making a statement on immigration. Oh, God. Uh, at the venue, Ramona arrives to find Scott, who is hanging out with his sister, uh, Wallace, and his sister's boyfriend, whom, by the way, Wallace finds attractive. And I don't know if you knew this, but... <laughs> oh, wait a minute. I'm starting to put two and two together here. Yeah, it's because Wallace Confirm is it. gay. Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And because there is another man here with whom he is not already in a relationship with, clearly right. he must be attracted to him. Well, the other one's a man, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Of course he'll be attracted to... Can you imagine the kind of sex they would have? The funny kind. <laughs> oh, God. Hilarious. They will have a joke together. Oh, and Knives is there, too. And she plants a kiss right on Scott in front of Ramona. Everybody gets awkward. And Scott runs backstage to join his band and certainly not to avoid this situation. Everybody Gets Awkward would be be another good name for the film. Yeah, yeah. Everybody Gets Awkward would be a good name for a band, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I'd go see Everybody Gets Awkward. Crash and the boys take the stage. Wallace taunts them throughout their set between attempts to flirt with Stacy's boyfriend because, again, gay. <laughs> Don't want to forget that. Uh, Stacy tries to start stirring shit up for her brother, asking Ramona and Knives how they met Scott. And seeing this from the edge of the stage, Scott... You know ins- what? Hmm? She's doing the right thing. Oh, she totally is. She totally is. She's trying to save these, these, these girls from this asshole. And if anyone would know, it would be his sister. Yes. Um, so Scott insists the band must play very loud and very immediately to prevent this conversation from reaching a disastrous conclusion. And it works because Knives becomes obsessively transfixed by Sex Babam taking the stage and faints as soon as they start playing. Uh, their song is interrupted by the arrival of Matthew Patel, who confronts and attacks a very confused Scott fighting happens, during which we establish that Matthew is Ramona's first evil ex-boyfriend, and Scott should have read the email, which would have explained all of this ahead of time. What an asshole. When asked, Ramona explains that they dated briefly in seventh grade as a pair of only two outcasts, getting into brawls with all of the school's jocks, and winning because of Matthew's mystical powers. And again, there are no jocks in this film because Scott Pilgrim is the jock. Yes, he's the jock now. Uh, Matthew's mystical powers are put on display in a sort of Bollywood-esque performance that I feel weird about. With a bunch of backing hipster demon girl dancers. This is stopped by Scott hitting Matthew in the forehead with a symbol from Kim's drum kit. And a big punch later, Matthew disintegrates into a shower of coins totaling $2.40. I never liked the slow motion punches and things that end the fights. Michael Cera just doesn't look convincing. No. Not even in a, you know, hidden depths way. And it's the way he looks, and I don't just mean like the way he physically looks. It's 
the way he's carrying himself in those punches and whenever they do the slow motion dramatic end he just looks like he isn't really there which is somewhat true because it's all effects but it looks like he's very awkwardly posing for the effect yeah i didn't like him uh, well i i don't look at michael sarah and think there's a guy who will win in a fight any fight and i don't understand scott pilgrim's fighting skills or where they came from that's true he it's just never really has shown them. in the film it just happens and and his friends seem surprised by his fighting skills like, they didn't seem to know that he had them in this scene when he yeah. puts them on display. And he only has them when he needs them. Yeah. Because even within fights, he won't have fighting skills until the bit of the fight where he needs to have them. It's true. Uh, also, Wallace is making out with Stacy's boyfriend. Yeah. So gay. Oh! So gay. Wait a minute. Yeah. 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 Okay, I was worried about what was funny about that for that's, a second, but then I realized... It's because he's gay, yeah. The boys kissing the boys is funny. It is funny. It is funny. Because they're and not meant is, to do that. And, and, and you see, it's funny because Stacy says, again, implying that this is not the first time that Wallace has lured away one of her boyfriends to be gay and therefore funny with him it's almost as if this film uh, is suggesting that all gay men do is have sex with all the men oh all, all gay the time and, and there's nothing happen. gay men like more than finding uh perceived straight men to make them gay yeah yeah this is a really really awful movie <laughs> <laughs> like wow Wow, the things that this film I God, I want to believe the best in people that they they don't intend to do this shit. On a bus, Ramona explains that if they're to date, Scott may have to deal with her seven evil exes. And Scott is too focused on the idea that they're dating to really consider the rest of this. Returning to Wallace's, He's still not broken up with knives. No, still not broken up with knives. Still not. And and, and we get a Seinfeld-ish theme transition as he returns to Wallace's and a sitcom laugh track plays to illustrate his happiness as he explains this news that he and Ramona are dating. And this bit was shit. And requests that Wallace not be home, quote, gaying up the place. Fuck you, Scott Pilgrim. In return, Wallace demands that Scott break up with Knives, threatening to tell Ramona about her if he does not. It doesn't matter that Wallace is a hypocrite, as it's intimated that he has slept with Stacy's boyfriend and is therefore cheating on other Scott because Wallace is gay and there are different gay rules. And I yes. hate this fucking movie. <laughs> but I think the most important thing about this scene is that Scott Pilgrim will do the right thing if there's something in it for him. If there's something to be materially gained, he'll consider the decent thing. Yes, that's the important thing in this scene that reinforces a stereotype that homosexuals operate under different rules from straight couples and are uh, sexually indiscriminate. Yeah, but Scott Pilgrim got what he wanted. You know what? Fair point. 
Wallace is going to be spending his day watching a marathon of Lucas Lee films, a former skateboarder turned action movie star shooting a film in town that he plans to stalk later. I hate everyone. Yeah. This is Chris Evans, by the way. Yep. Yep. Looking good, uh, too. I got to say. Yeah. He's Captain America. Scott. The Cal- original Winter Soldier. That's his name. <laughs> Scott calls knives from a payphone. And it turns out that she's right there at the payphone. Oh. Terrifying. Oh, no. They go to the record shop, and she invites him to her birthday dinner, revealing that she's in love with him. So Scott breaks up with her awkwardly, and she's clearly devastated. But don't worry, Scott's over it by the time he's done with his bus ride to band practice. Well, he made sure he had another girl lined up. Right, yeah. It's... Everything's coming up, Scott, and that's all that matters. <sighs> he ain't got he ain't got Wallace gaying up the place, his words. He's dumped his 17-year-old girlfriend who he was uh being incredibly and increasingly cold and distant to. I like this is the this is the nightmare scenario of the breaking up with a girl thing, right? The you know you have had this thought going on in your head for a while, and hadn't you know been willing to do the thing that you needed to do and knew it was right, and it has reached a point where it's just gone too far now, and that is fucking horrible. And I I have even. I can, re- I can, this is the point at which Scott Pilgrim's actually a little bit relatable to me because I've almost been in that situation. Not the part where I had someone else on the side and was a total dick about it, but the part where I realized that, oh, this relationship has progressed farther than it ever should have been allowed to, and I have screwed up. And now we yeah. need to end that. <laughs> like, I but get the, the horror You of say it's scene. a nightmare scenario, but it seems like Scott had a pretty easy time of it. Yeah, it does seem to have worked out pretty well for Scott. Yeah. Maybe that's the lesson. Maybe it's not. Maybe I shouldn't be thinking about the other person and what I've done to them. That seems to work in Scott's favor. Hmm. Is to just not care about anyone who isn't Scott Pilgrim. Hmm. No Kim... wonder he's rated awesome in his stats. Kim rightly. Points out that Scott is scum. Thank you, Kim. (laughs) They begin practice for the second round of the Battle of the Bands, but are interrupted by the doorbell. It's Ramona, but with different hair. (gasps) And Scott appears somewhat offended because he no doubt feels as though he should have been consulted on this decision. Honestly, there was a a line he has in this scene um, where he was explaining... Um, or the next scene or whatever where he's explaining what was wrong with the hair change. And the way he started it mm-hmm. really did make it sound like he was going to say, she didn't ask me first. Yeah. Yeah. And he- it does seem like his real fear of impulsiveness and everything stems from the fact that he's worried he won't be able to control exactly how she looks and behaves. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. With a... With the band's only groupie who would do anything to please the band, Scott Pilgrim jumped on that train as quickly as he fucking could. But this person, older, not impressed that he's in a band, that's difficult. 
Mm. She might stand up for herself. Now Scott's looking at some trouble. That's right. Oh, nice. Looking pretty good right about now, huh? Yep. Oh dear, Scott. You found you found someone autonomous. Oh dear, Scott, you're in trouble. Uh, he then bails on the rehearsal, suggesting that young Neil knows his parts and can just fill in on bass. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Well, Dick. I mean, what were you expecting him to have any sense of responsibility of or accountability? Not. Of course not. He's in a band. He doesn't have to be. Uh, responsible and keep up commitments with the band. No. Come on, the whole entire purpose you want to have your cake and fuck it so too. that you can attract women and get laid. Yes, right. He's in a band, so he can say he's in a band. That's it. That's all you need. To... Why would he practice? Why the fuck should he even be expected to pick <laughs> up his fucking instrument? The only instrument he should be picking up is his likely massive dong. Massive because he's such a player. Oh, it must be huge. It's gotta be. And if it's not, people tell him it is. Of course. Everyone makes because... him feel good about the size of his penis. <laughs> <laughs> Even Wallace has done it once or twice when Scott's been feeling particularly low. If anything, to shut him up, which, <laughs> as we've learned from the Amazon debacle earlier in the film, <laughs> is how Scott gets his way. <laughs> At Wallace's, Scott is cooking dinner while having a minor crisis about how easily Ramona made a change like her hair color and how he's out of his depth with a woman like that. Wallace, holding up his end of the bargain, leaves to go stalk Lucas Lee, inviting Scott to meet him after he struck out with Ramona. So the pair eats garlic bread, which is, I assume, the only thing he knows how to bake. Yeah. Uh, And then he plays a lame song he wrote for her. And then they make out, and he gets insecure about his hair, which hasn't been professionally cut in over a year as he got a bad haircut three hours before being dumped. Our hero. Yeah. I got no- I've got nothing to say to it. <sighs> and he spills- it's self-evident. He spills about his bad breakup that he's totally not still hung up on. And then to avoid the conversation about his hair, he puts on a hat and suggests they go for a walk leading them to the film shoot that Wallace is at. Yeah. Turns out Lucas is another of Ramona's exes, having dated their freshman year of high school. And while it seems like Lucas is acting, it's in a scene where he's confronting a man holding a woman hostage, he's actually confronting Scott because it's time for them to fight. He punches Scott around the place a bit, and when Scott, you know, finally, like, gets his shit together and tries to confront him. It's not Lucas, but one of his stunt doubles. Oh, what a funny joke. That's actually pretty clever. That's that's not bad. That ain't too bad. That ain't too bad. Uh, he's got a bunch of them, and Scott has to fight them all while the real Lucas gets himself a coffee and checks his phone. Uh, but off screen, Scott has turned the tables and defeated all the stuntmen. And then real fighting happens, and Lucas reveals that the seven X's have formed a league to kill Scott and control Ramona's love life. So... Scott challenges Lucas, who, again, former skateboarder, former pro skateboarder turned actor. You know, of course he's a skateboarder. He's got, he's got his own skateboard uh, line. That's supposed to be a funny joke about poser skateboarders, I think. Yeah. Um, neat, I guess. It's always fun when one... Like... I'll be honest. I I didn't mind this this scene at all. 
the fight and no, the fight and the, the gags fight. were yeah. decent. Yeah, it's all fine. It's all decent. Yeah, it's good. This whole bit. Yeah. Uh, I challenged him to do this grind down an ice-covered rail, a huge staircase leading to the castle that the film's shooting at. And he accepts, and he's totally fucking awesome. Uh, but bails at the end and disintegrates into coins. Uh, speaking of bailing, Ramona's also bailed on Scott. And as Scott whinges about... Oh, thank God for her. Get away. Yeah, she has made the right call. <laughs> uh, as Scott whinges about Ramona not, Ramona not having called him back yet from the prior evening, Wallace encourages him to tell her how he feels and go get that girl, mostly because he needs Scott to move out. Which, yeah. Get this asshole out of I'd, your place. Yeah, get Wallace. rid of him. Yep. The phone... He sleeps in the guy's bed and probably never asks. He probably just gets in and just assumes, so it's my bed. That's probably how it's been this whole relationship, and, and Wallace has just been too considerate to let him to send him out on his way. Yeah, he just has his hilarious sex around him. <laughs> the phone rings, and it's Envy, Scott's ex. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, they have an awkward conversation that leaves Scott feeling even worse, and then it doesn't get e- it doesn't be- get blech. it doesn't get any better when Knives calls and reveals that she's standing outside. So Scott very comically escapes through the window, while Wallace occupies her. And you know, if you're gonna do like I'm going to escape from the room by diving through a window, I like the way this was executed because he dives through that window, but then he has to reach back in to get his coat. Yeah. It's comical. That's that not bad. That's not yeah. bad. I'll take that. Taking my pleasure where I could find it. Uh, and then he wanders around the streets of Toronto dwelling on his situation in an alley he's confused. There was a sitcom in the 90s called Goodnight Sweetheart. Was there? It starred Nicholas Lindhurst, who was an actor predominantly known for another sitcom called Only Fools and Horses in the UK, which uh, some Americans may have heard of. Um, and, and other people from around the world. Uh, and in Goodnight Sweetheart, he is an average, normal bloke, married man in modern times for the time. And there was an alleyway that he could step into and he'd end up in World War Two London. Mm. And the farce of it was him trying to keep a relationship going in the modern world while having an affair <laughs> with a woman in World War Two. That's an interesting premise. A very clever conceit. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't a bad show. I, I'm sure many of the jokes will be seem as really tame and all not that great now. Sure. But there was a, a, a an interesting element of farce there, uh, especially one when he was on a date in the modern world and in World War Two at the same time and kept having to do the typical farcical the, run the between two days. Yeah. But it was across time as well. Um, and you know, when he was in World War Two, he'd bring things from the modern age, so he he could, everyone loved him because he always brought tights, things <laughs> like that. Um, would play songs from the future that he'd pass off as his own in the pub where most of it took place on a piano. Um, yeah, I, I should go check that out again. Yeah, that sounds like fun. I yeah. think I'll have to watch that. I story. only thought to bring that up because of an Scott Pilgrim's an arsehole. <laughs> Scott Pilgrim's an asshole in an alleyway. Okay, yeah. I'm just saying, if, yeah. if you want something funny about a, a dirtbag cheating on women, uh, Goodnight Sweetheart does it so much more clever and without a pee meter. Well, in this alley, he's confronted by a young woman whom he punches in the boob. And then Scott puts her off until later. Okay. Yeah. Mm. 
He calls his sister uh, at the coffee shop she's working at and says he's coming in. But then it turns out to be Julie behind the counter, who I guess works everywhere. And he points that out and she gives him shit for dating Ramona after she explicitly told him not to. And then mentions that, hey, Envy's in town. Oh, and hey, Ramona's here at the coffee shop, too. And she apologizes for bailing on him, but he's totally cool with it and thinks nothing could come between them. And oh, there's his ex. <laughs> ah! Ramona leaves Envy and, and Scott to talk, and Envy expresses her jealousy at Ramona, and then invites Scott to her secret show that he says, no, I'm not going to go to. And walking with their coffee, Scott explains to Ramona that Envy dumped him to move back to Montreal to be with her best friend Todd, whom she immediately started dating. And Ramona also dated a Todd that didn't work out well. What a coincidence. So she invites Scott saying? back to her place to get warm, and cut to Wallace's, where other Scott sits up in the bed and accuses Scott of being gay for not having sex with Ramona because he couldn't get envy out of his head. I just... <laughs> I just can't with this. I can't. Good night, sweetheart. <laughs> That's a, the thing. There's the actual song from the, Them Days. It's the theme tune of it. Also in the bed... Good- it was a clever show, Conrad. Also in the bed is Stacy's ex and Wallace. They had a very fun threesome. It's implied that they have all been gay together now. I bet that would have been a laugh riot. I bet they were, like, cackling while they were in each other. I wish they'd shot that because, I mean, that that's what this film needs is a little, like, levity to loosen things up a bit. Some actual jokes. <laughs> Uh, Scott swears he will think of Envy no more. Cut to the practice space where Steven announces that Envy has invited them to open for the Clash at Demon Head the following night. Scott objects, but Steven insists, suggesting that they need Buzz to win the next round of the Battle of the Bands. And Ramona encourages Scott to play the show, saying it would be the grown-up thing to do. Which, um... Yeah, man, think of your friends' careers. Like, seriously, the fuck, dude? Your hang-up is going to ruin everybody's lives. Meanwhile, Knives is watching through the window and freaks out that Scott is dating a, quote, fat-ass hipster chick. Yeah. Uh, This is the point where the victimized girl is presented as a villain. Yeah. She's the asshole in, in Scott Pilgrim's world. Yep. Great. And he only likes her because she's old. And so Knives dyes a blue streak into her hair and propositions young Neil in order to make Scott jealous. Sex Babon plays the gig opening for Clash at Demon Head, and the crowd is not into it. Ramona goes to the bathroom and runs into Knives, who looks at her threateningly and then mimics her on the way out as she goes to hug young Neil. When Ramona asks how old she is in response to finding out that Knives and Scott had dated, Scott pulls his old I-gotta-go-pee move. Well, he he tries, and it gets caught between I-gotta-go-pee and who-her, I think it was, the two responses in his head, which they did with a funny spinny meter. And because he he couldn't decide whether to say who-her... Or I gotta go pee. It comes out of his mouth as I gotta go pee on her. Oh right, that's right. Yes, that's right. That's a very funny joke. 
Don't video it, Scott. <laughs> the Clash Demon Head takes the stage. Uh, Scott tells Ramona that Todd is the bassist, uh, but Ramona already knows because it's the same Todd she dated. Oh, Jesus. No. What are the odds? It'll be him, won't it? Of course. Of course. They're both called Todd. After their set, Julie appears and says Envy has invited Sex Bob-omb backstage to hang out. Shouldn't Sex Bob-omb be hanging out backstage anyway because they're the opening act? I'm confused. An awkward confrontation... There might be a record label person back there. Exactly. An awkward confrontation follows as Envy acts all and sinister. Scott is uncomfortable and Nice keeps interjecting, eventually getting the highlights punched out of her hair by Todd, who... For the first time, we have someone in the running for bigger dick than Scott Pilgrim. Uh, when Scott, when Todd speaks ill of Toronto, however, that's when it's too much for Scott. Yeah. Who attacks him only to have... Well, he's from Toronto. That can, he can relate that to I mean, to that's himself. when it gets personal. Never mind that he just punched this girl you used to date and pretended to care about. Yeah. yeah. Used to date. <laughs> he's not dating her now, so why would he care? Because right. he's Scott Pilgrim. He don't have to care. He doesn't even know why he's in this fucking band when Neil can play and he can just put his own name on the record credits. Scott's blow is stopped in air by Todd's vegan powers. And he's then thrown through a wall into an alley and uppercut into the stratosphere so we can get a brief explanation of how vegan powers work. So apparently 90% of the brain is made up of curds and whey. And so if you... Yeah. If you're vegan, that doesn't happen to you, and you could have psychic powers. Okay. Uh, I do like the, the, the line, Envy has, vegan people are just better than other people. People who are vegan are just better than other people. Which mm -hmm. does speak to a mindset that some people who are vegan might have. And I get that. But nobody... I've ever known. I've only known that stereotype to exist in media. I've never actually yeah. met a vegan who was like an asshole about their veganism. I feel almost like it might be other people feel self-conscious around vegans, um, and then therefore feel persecuted, and then let that persecution manifest in the media that they, as a majority in society, control. Yeah. Almost. Yeah, I almost get that sense. Like, gosh. Yeah, it's weird that you don't see that happening with other, you know, sort of marginalized groups. Weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. But anyway, let's get back yeah, about... Fuck uh, vegans. Hear about how... See how gay Wallace is. <laughs> a lame thread about turning Scott into dust gets a belabored explanation. Well, the actor who plays Todd is, uh, he's been in a ton of shit. Um... He, he was he was in one of the Star Wars, I think, but... Uh, but, uh, he, he, I saw him in Chuck... He was he was a, a bad guy, a long recurring bad guy in Chuck, which is another show that at the time felt you know, it was very much of this time and in this style. And going back to now, I'm sure would be incredibly painful. Oh, God, I'm just trying to think of how bad Chuck probably looks now. Because towards the end of Chuck, it didn't look so great. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Anyway, um. A 
Ramona gives an explanation uh, about her relationship with Todd. Apparently she had dumped Lucas for Todd, and the two of them proceeded to be dicks to everybody at their high school until he got sent to Vegan Academy and she dumped him. And a lame threat about turning Scott to dust gets a belabored explanation. I did like yeah. the joke where uh, the the evil boyfriend, I never remembered any of their names, um, makes a reference to... Oh, no, no, I think it's uh, Scott says something about where did you learn that vegan academy? And it came across like it was just an attempt at a put down. And then I liked how casually in Ramona's backstory, she mentions he went to vegan. Yeah, academy. there is a vegan like, ah, academy. Ha, ha, it is it. real. Yeah. It's not a joke. Yeah. Uh, that was actually nicely done. I appreciated that gag. Yep. That was a fun gag. Uh, Todd effortlessly flings Scott around with the vegan powers and throws him through another wall. And then a baseline emerges from the hole in the wall Scott made as he went through it. And there's a base fight that happens, but Todd's baseline is too strong, and Scott is knocked through several more walls into, I guess, a green room. And a victorious Todd is standing overhead as Scott produces two cups of coffee and offers that they drink to Todd's victory, saying that there's soy milk in the latte. And Todd, reading Scott's mind, knows that one of the cups has half and half and takes the one Scott didn't offer. But Scott was thinking real hard about putting soy in that cup because it's the one he put the half and half in, and oh no, Todd drank dairy. And then another wall breaks down behind them, and the vegan police arrive to take his powers from him. (laughs) And you know what? This movie's so fucking stupid. Thank you for the vegan police. Thank you for acknowledging how fucking stupid this movie is, this whole goddamn thing is. And I know they were in the comics, and I don't care. I think this is one of the things where there was a bit of commitment to yep. the absurdity of the situation. And that's partly why it worked better than a lot of the other stuff in the film. Yep. I like the vegan police. I, I like Todd. The whole Todd fight I'm in for. Uh, he apologizes to Envy, Scott does, suggesting that they're now even for what she did to him after he headbutts Todd into coins. Um, murder doesn't really seem comparable. Yeah, like, it is like, oh, you killed my boyfriend. And he's like, yeah, well, you killed my heart. And it's like, the message there is, you hurt Scott, and he will fucking kill your loved ones. He will come for you in a major way. Don't you fuck with Scott Pilgrim. You'll never love again. (laughs) Scott Pilgrim is... A bad guy. At a pizza place, Steven tries to talk the band into going to an after party because there will be label people there. And that is eventually what they (laughs) wind up doing. There always are. Scott's getting irritated, insecure by this whole ex thing, uh, accusing Ramona of having done something to make them all crazy. Ramona points out that, hey, I'm not the only one who has dumped everybody that they've ever been in a relationship with. Uh, noting Knives and Kim, both of whom clearly have some baggage from him. Yeah. I mean, that was another thing. Like, that was something I, I picked up on, was he had a major problem with her having never been dumped before, which I know to him is unusual to see in a girl anyway. Because he dumps them um, Because of his track record. But yeah, it definitely is this, again, it goes back to this, I might not get to call the shots here. Yeah, I might. Now she I'm might threatened. decide to leave me someday. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Before I get to have a chance. Yeah. 
what a great guy Scott Pilgrim is. Basically, he's the relationship equivalent of your, you know, your sibling getting pissed off that you hit the traffic light button before they did. You got you're at the crosswalk <laughs> and you hit the button and they're like, oh, I wanted to hit the button. <laughs> and then your parents say, well, don't keep pressing it, otherwise it won't turn colors Which, and there's no evidence for that no that's that it doesn't it doesn't speed it up but neither does it slow it down and no. in, in, in you the, press it all day long in the industry uh they call that a beg button just a fun fact urbanists they call oh. it a beg button because you're begging beg to be button. allowed to cross the street which was stolen from you by cars oh that's actually i like that mm-hmm. uh so just as he is saying that he's struggling with the exes thing for the umpteenth time, and Ramona points that he sh- out that he should really be more non-gendered with this expression. He gets hit in the head by the woman who confronted him in the alley earlier. Her name is Roxy, and because everyone in this has to be a stereotype, Ramona experimented with her in college. This is a great movie that we watched. Yeah. To prevent our hero from having to hit a girl on screen, Ramona steps in to fight Roxy, who notes that Gideon is behind all this. Hey, we keep hearing that name. Uh, and Ramona produces this huge hammer from her purse. Lady fighting happens, but it won't have any effect because the rules state that Scott has to defeat the exes. Whose fucking rules? Unwilling to hit a girl, Ramona grabs Scott's wrists and does the punching for him. But Scott gets dropped all the same, and as Roxy goes to bring her heel down on his head, head and end, just mercifully bring an end to all of this nightmare, <laughs> Ramona reveals that her weak point is the back of her knee. Scott pokes it. Roxy has an orgasm and is defeated by it. She comes herself into coins. I don't... I don't... Okay, you know, I was willing. I've been going along with a Look, lot. What, I've been going along with a lot with? in this movie. I've got along with a lot. Okay? You can't believe that she's got a clip behind her knee. No, it's it's not that. It's not that. That like this is the breaking point in the movie for me. Like all of the other like awful, barely subtextual stuff that this film has conveyed over its running time so far. I draw the line at the idea that a woman is inherently defeated by her own sexual pleasure. That just... I just can't. It is so incredibly puritanical and sexist. Well, here's the thing. She's gay. Therefore, funny sex. It's actually thematically on point for this film. Of course, it's not just a girl defeated by sex. It's a gay girl defeated by sex. Of course. Hilarious orgasms. Scott proceeds to get drunk on gin and tonic. One gin and tonic. And be a real dick to Ramona about her exes. So she decides to ditch him, saying he's just going to be another evil ex eventually. She's right. Leaving him with that. A... Honestly, she she's so on the money. Yep. He's, he's, he's an evil. 
he's not just an evil ex, he's an evil current as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's evil. He's the jock. He's the evil jock in any other film. The wedding crashers would be trying to take him down about She now. is everything that she said she hated in high school when she didn't want to date the jocks. It's the same mindset the jocks had. Yeah. She's just trying that flavor now. If he was funny, he'd be a Ben Stiller antagonist. Are Ben Stiller antagonists? I guess some of them are funny. No, Ben Stiller when he's an antagonist. Yeah, okay. All right. All right. I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was quite a laugh in Dodgeball. Yeah, he's good in Dodgeball. I do like him in that. So she uh, leaves him with this list of her exes, and next on the list are the Katayanagi twins, who just happen to be the next band Sex Bomb will be playing against in the Battle of the Bands. Ooh. Steven offers to let Scott out of the performance, but Scott wants to kick some ass. It turns out the next stage of the competition is Amp versus Amp, meaning the two bands will be playing at the same time. I've never heard of this being done. It seems like a terrible experience for fucking everyone involved. No, you'd literally need two venues. Yeah. Th- you'd need two venues, two different audiences. Yes. This is a bad You'd idea. need to just have, not a battle of the bands, but just rival concerts. It turns out, uh, so they set up, Kim's observing Ramona in the crowd and encourages Scott to talk to her before it's too late because Kim's our hero. <laughs> Kim's the one we pull for. Kim and Knives and, to a certain extent, Ramona. (laughs) And she's talking to a man, speaking of Ramona, who turns to face Scott and smiles and dun-dun-dun. I mean, we don't know who he is. So, whatever. Scott's distracted by this as the Battle of the Bands begins, and the Katayanagi twins begin their set with a sonic assault that tears the roof off the venue. They literally tore the roof off the place. I've heard that expression. Well, that's come that's coming out of their take home. Band fighting happens, and the Katayanagi twins. Katayanagi, Katayanagi, whatever. The twins manifest a pair of dragons that knock Scott and the band to the ground. Steven, of course they do. Steven says it's over, and they'll never get a contract after having embarrassed themselves like this in front of Gideon Graves. And it all comes together for Scott. Who real you know then rallies the band and the music takes the form of a yeti that clobbers the dragons. That's a cool looking just think, yeti. Just think if though if they'd have made this in sort of twenty sixteen onwards, they could have had actual Donkey Kong. Oh yeah, they'd have gotten they'd been able to get the license for it by then. Sure, and they would they, have. They were a lot more guarded about their licenses back then. Was but you know in this age of crossovers and you know officially licensed Easter eggs. They'd have had actual Donkey Kong fighting, I don't know, Falcor. <laughs> well, it's the Double Dragons. The Double Dragon Dragons, yeah. yeah. Uh, Scott is awarded an extra life after the twins are defeated, and then he goes after Ramona, running into knives along the way, who briefly stops him, but he just moves past her because she is not important to him. Not anymore. Outside, he finds Ramona and opens up, attempting to tell her that he's in love with her, but says lesbians instead, calling back to the earlier conversation where Wallace had tried to convince him to say how he feels, but the L word that he could come up with was lesbians. It's very funny. She breaks up with him, saying that she's getting back together with Gideon, as Under My Thumb plays from his limo. A little on the nose, Edgar, don't you think? On the plus side, 
Gideon's ready to offer Sex Bobomb a record deal. And it's uh, Jason Schwartzman. Yes. That that man that you've seen before. You have seen Jason Schwartzman before. And he is again... He's in uh, the TV, the, the Netflix Red Hot American Summer. But this is a... I forget if he was in the film. Uh, no, he was not in the original film. Uh, uh, Wet Hot American his, Summer. His rather. character was added for, uh, for State Camp. Uh, Jason yeah. Schwartzman's was. But this is another one of those instances. You know, I was bringing up Michael Sarah and how I confuse him with that other one from Superman and the social oh, Jesse network. Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah. I confuse them. I confuse uh, this guy with Jason Lee. Oh, okay. I don't know. It's just they have similar sort of semi-angular faces and cocky attitudes. Yeah. Uh, My name is Earl and, yep. and like the... the... Silent Bob films. Yes. Uh, that Silent Bob character who's always there making us laugh. <laughs> uh, a lot of gay subtext there, too, actually. Yeah. 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 Mm. Well, anyway. you, say sub, you say subtext, too, as if there's any gay subtext. Yeah, there's no gay in subtext in this. Uh, Steven is in on the band contract, uh, on the record deal, but Scott declines, so young Neil takes his place in the band and everybody signs up. Gideon leaves with Ramona, thanking Scott, and half-assedly apologizes for having set up that whole League of Exes thing. Crestfallen and at his lowest point in having gotten every fucking thing that he deserves, Scott wanders in the night, banging his head on a telephone pole and... His sister tries to comfort him on the swing sets, and then he goes to Wallace's to walk in on him having very funny gay sex with a person we haven't seen and won't again. Oh, yeah. He does do that. And we learn that he really doesn't have a place to live at. Well, again, we got to reinforce that indiscriminate gay sex thing. It's crucial to his character. Then the phone rings, and it's Gideon who wants to be the bigger man and invite him to the opening night of this new chaos theater in Toronto, where the sex bombs will be playing. And Scott resolves to finish shit. Now, I want to do want to call attention to one thing in this film, because you had mentioned earlier that you wondered if maybe this film influenced some young, a younger generation, you know, a generation younger than us and, and influenced the way they might think about relationships and life and so forth. I'd like to note that the only time, uh, the only thing that comes from a phone call in this movie is something bad. It's always something bad when there's a phone call. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that has contributed to the modern generation's desire to never speak on the phone? Because every time the phone rings, it's just something bad? Maybe. Definitely. Definitely. That's how that happened. That is, though, right? That's true now. It is absolutely true. The only time someone actually calls you on the phone is something bad has happened. Like, Yeah. To be fair, that's true of me as well, though. I don't like talking on the phone. You know, I call my mother every week because that's, you know, the nature of our relationship. But if she were to call me, I would be freaking out. I don't know if I'd answer. I'd probably just yeah. let her leave a message. <laughs> uh... Scott goes to the club and uses... Did we mention that Scott tries to do that at one point? Did we? Did you mention that? I forget now. What? That he... That when he when he goes to dump Kim Knives, he first does the... Oh, uh, he tries to do it by phone? The classic asshole thing and tries it by phone. We, we didn't. We didn't. We sort of breezed, breezed past that. But yes, that's but true. Of course. Of course of he course did. Of course that was his preferred method. But she meets him before he can do it. And then, you know, 
But I just, it's worth pointing out that, of course, that Scott was Pilgrim's his plan. first call yep. is to do it. But he probably did all the others by phone. Well, and he doesn't have a cell phone or he'd have done it by text. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. He probably does that now. Oh, yeah. I'm sure Scott Pilgrim is, is ghosting people. Like, he's not even bothering to text now. It's so much yeah. easier to hide from people. He he administrates the men going their own way for him. Well, you know, I mean, what... <laughs> What he did wrong with knives, the lesson that he had to learn was to not bring her to the place that he lived. <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So, yeah, he goes to the club. He uses his own ironic detachment as the password to enter. Uh, Sex Babam, neutered of their punk influence, stops playing as he walks in. And Stephen warns Scott not to give Gideon the satisfaction of fighting with him. But Scott persists revealing that he's in love with Ramona, which causes a sword called the power of love to appear out of his chest. Yeah. What? He draws it, and Gideon has sex babam play a song while goon fighting happens. Goon's defeated, Scott clashes with Gideon, but the power of love is shattered and he falls to the ground. And just as Giddy is about to deliver the finishing blow, Knives stops him, saying, you'll pay for what he did, you did to him, but she's actually talking to Ramona. Fucking hell. Love triangle fighting happens. Knives accuses Ramona of stealing Scott, which she denies, and Scott uh, eventually manages to stop this fighting by way of explaining that he's an asshole who's unable to communicate his feelings in an honest manner and has hurt them both. And then Gideon stabs him and he dies. And in his mental desert, Ramona appears and explains her history with Gideon, that he wasn't interested in her until she decided to leave him. Also, he put a chick on a, a microchip on her neck that's mind-controlling her or some shit. I fucking hate this movie so much. Just, I just do. Let's just completely remove the agency of these characters. That's great. That's, that's cool. That's super fun. Scott feels like he's... Oh. The worst thing about it is we know that all that did was give Scott some ideas for life. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now he's just got a plan. I gotta get me one of these, he's thinking. Scott feels like he's realized something, but unfortunately, he's dead. Except for that extra life he got half an hour ago. So he replays the event of the last day or so until reaching the Chaos Theater again, where he compliments Sex Babam on the new direction, promotes young Neil to Neil, and apologizes to Kim for being Scott Pilgrim. He then goes on to confront Gideon, but this time... He pulls a different sword out, doesn't he? This time he's doing it not for love, but for no. himself. Yes, and that's the important message, is fighting with love, uh-uh, fighting with self-love, that's the Scott Pilgrim way. And he's given a new sword, the power of self-respect. The problem is, is that he only has self-respect. <laughs> yes! <laughs> fighting happens, Gideon is handily defeated. And Scott calls out to Knives, asking her not to attack Ramona. But when she appears, he explains that he's the one responsible for hurting her, not Ramona. And for some reason, this breaks the microchip Ramona has on her neck. Fuck this movie. Wow. Just... They got, 
It, they've they've almost hit the two hours. They can just wrap like, it up now. Oh, I, just oh, microchip, get rid of it. Oh, he really is a good guy. I don't need to be controlled by this asshole. <laughs> this time it'll be different. <laughs> uh, so uh, Gideon gets up, produces a new sword. I'm sure it's a reference to something. I don't care. Uh, he challenges Scott again, easily outmatching him. Knives tries to help, but Gideon's awesome or something, and breaks the power of self-respect. With Scott defeated, Ramona moves to embrace him, but uh, moves to embrace Gideon, but instead gives him a knee to the groin. That classic move. And ultimately, Scott and Knives work together as they had in the arcade game to beat the shit out of Gideon. And after a bit of defeated bad guy monologuing, Scott kicks his head off. Steven and Neil collect the coins that Gideon becomes because their record deal is obviously not happening now. And as everyone, I guess, seems happy to have won, Nega Scott appears. It's a... It's it's an impossibly whiter Scott. (laughs) So yeah, it's an evil version of Scott Pilgrim comes out. Red eyes. It's basically like the Nega Ninja yep. from earlier that he can't defeat. That that would have meant something if they'd actually given that earlier scene more than a token nod. Um, and then what happens, Connor? Because I think what happens next is very important. Scott sends Ramona and Knives out so that he could face himself alone. Cut to outside. Scott and Nega Scott emerge, making plans for brunch the following week. Yeah. The only person he and this... his evil side get along just fine. What a shock! Which that makes me not think different. Not much difference between them, huh? I've got two scenarios there. Either he is so self-absorbed in a, in a true neutral slash chaotic neutral way that his alternate version is just the same, or. Nega Scott is actually the nice one, and we've been following the evil one this whole time. And I think it's that last one. I think Nega Scott is the nice, less self-absorbed well, version of if him. If he's Nega Scott, then he's probably very considerate about other people's feelings yes, all the time. Yes, exactly. Very empathetic. Uh, Scott Pilgrim was probably like, "I'm tired, but I'll fight you if I have to." And then Nega Scott is like, just, "Dude, it's cool." We don't- we don't Why? have to do this. Like, this is pointless. Yeah. You look sleepy and, you know, I, I get nothing out of it. I mean, and, and, and it costs nothing to be friendly. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably it. It's probably you exactly know. what happened. Yeah. I will see you for brunch. I'm paying. <laughs> of course he would. As Knives and Scott chat about his shaggy hair and he has his brief moment of insecurity again about it, Ramona goes to leave and says goodbye, not wanting to hurt anyone anymore. She calls Scott the nicest guy she's ever dated. <laughs> That's probably pretty debatable. Or just the most tragic, tragic statement said in this film. As Ramona walks away, Knives encourages Scott to go after her, so he does, and they walk together through another door in the middle of nowhere. The fucking end. I didn't like it. I didn't like it either. It made me. Did you like this one or not? No. It made me very angry and sad. 
Uh, it, it is. It's, it feels so careless with everything yeah. it's I think, doing. I think we probably both came across because we were nitpicking. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, as is our way. I think we both came across as more offended by this film than we might actually be. No, because yeah. watching the film. It's just a case of, it's one long string of, oh, what the fuck ever, this is... It's a lot of visual blur. It moves too quickly to get too angry about anything in it. It's only by virtue of us, like, zone, you know, like, really focusing in on all of these. Yeah, we've put everything under a microscope, and as is, as happens a few times with these films we look at, when we piece by piece dissect it, only then do we sort of really zero in on how bad it all looks. And the like, uh, I think every just casually viewing, you might not pick up on any of it. My, I, I want to believe that it's just clumsy. That you know, yeah. nobody really thought about this to any significant enough depth. Uh, and how this, I would like. To, I haven't read the comics yet. I, I might just because I, I really got to know if it comes off as sort of yeah. tone deaf and empty as this does. Yeah, we can only talk for the movie, which, you know, even watching it without having to dissect anything, my eventual takeaway was this this is just a very entitled film. Yeah. It's a film about an entitled immature jackass who gets everything he wants. And I don't want to And the only thing he learns at the end of the day is to like himself. And I don't want to assume that the source material is the same way. Because I, you know, you have more time to work out things. You can say things, but I'm. This would not make me want to go read that, if I didn't know that so many people really liked that comic and considered it an emotional experience at one point in time. Because I don't get that here. I don't see that in this movie. I just see an asshole, a a, a bunch of unlikable people, and a few victims that I sympathize with. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, but next time... Oh, next what time. What are we doing next time, Connor? Well, yes, we're doing something different because next next time we record, it's your birthday, Jim. I'm very excited for your birthday, and I want to give you a present. So we're going to watch a movie called Treasure of the Four Crowns. Yeah. And I've decided, have it, with you having told me the title, I've not heard of this film before, I don't think. Um, I may have heard the title... But I don't know anything beyond that, and I don't. I'm gonna go into it completely sight unseen. I think that's wise. I think you're making a good call here. So yeah, that's what we're gonna do in two more weeks. Uh, Treasure of the Four Crowns. If you would like to watch along, you you should watch it. It is a thing. And yeah. All right. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, follow Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter at Conrad Zimmerman. Mm-hmm. All one word. Um, I, I'm sure we've stomped on nostalgia for a few people today. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, I'm more keenly. Fe- I just feel like people. I do too. This, I just yeah. Because it was a lot more loved in its time. And 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 um, and but, it was loved. Its time was recent. Like it's, it's yes, been it's less not than that far away. But it feels like it's just part of a, a real bygone era. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Sorry. Um, sorry about that. Um. But I'll tell you what, I'll apologize sincerely when the film does first for all of it. <laughs> that's my that's my promise to you. Yeah, that's a fair deal. That's a fair deal. And it's better than a deal Scott Pilgrim would give you as a character because he'd want something out of it. Well, he'd, he'd be like, apologize and also I get money. Uh, well, also leave your apartment so that I could have sex with this girl. Yes. 
Yes, I don't want you gaining the place up. Right. Yeah. Uh, all right. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.